back to throw Fitzpatrick. Throw it high into the air. Got it. Parker, touchdown. What a win for this Miami Dolphin team. Wow. You know it's going to be a big one. What is up, Dolphins? And welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network covering your team, your 3-3 three and three Miami Dolphins each and every day. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your weekly Dolphins football recap here on the official daily podcast of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. And on today's show... Win! Win, 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 win! The Dolphins pull off a dominant win in dominant fashion with dominant defense and explosive first-half offense. We're going to hear from some of the guys. We're going to get you the takeaways from this game, the individual performances, and get John Kinjemi on the horn to help us break down the Dolphins' 24 to nothing victory. Win! win. All of that and more on this Sunday, October the 18th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And Drive Time is brought to you by AutoNation. There are so many reasons to drive pink, but for AutoNation, there's only one. To finish the fight against cancer. In fact, AutoNation has helped raise over $25 million to drive out cancer. To join the fight, visit the AutoNation store near you or drivepink.com. And going into this game, I was very curious about this because we know how comfortable the Dolphins' victories have been, the two victories they have so far under or over rather Jacksonville and San Francisco with a 43-17 win, a 31-13 win. I was just very curious about how often the Dolphins win games in blowout fashion, and I was expecting to have to go back further, but you might recall the 2014 season, the Dolphins had six victories by double digits. They played some games where they just wiped people off the field quickly with a high-scoring offense and good defensive performances, and I did think I was going to have to go back further than that because over the past five years, 2015 through 2019, the Dolphins have five double-digit wins total. So coming up close to that this season with three already with a 24 to nothing victory over the New York Jets, an absolute dominant performance from the defense. The AFC East standings now because of the Patriots loss against the Denver Broncos and the Jets loss here at home to the Miami Dolphins. Buffalo Bills are four and one. They have the Chiefs tomorrow with Patrick Mahomes, the defending Super Bowl champions. Dolphins at three and three. Patriots at two and three. Jets at 0 and six. Dolphins in second place in the AFC East. And if Kansas City can take care of Buffalo tomorrow, that'll put us one game within the lead for the AFC East division. So I talked about this on Friday, or maybe it was Thursday. Not going to start looking at the standings, but here we are talking standings in week number six. And let's go ahead and start this Sunday night recap edition of the Drive Time Podcast as we do weekly, taking a look at the stats from Miami's 24 to 0. Over rival New York, let's go ahead and turn that down real quick. Over the Jets, the Dolphins had a defensive showing that's probably going to put them quite a bit up in the rankings in terms of yards allowed, points against, all the fun stuff we talk about on the Tuesday podcast here on Drive Time. The Dolphins' defense allows just 263 yards, 115 on the ground. A couple of those big runs in that second half with the scoreboard looking pretty lopsided. 148 passing yards for the Jets. The Jets were 4 of 20 on 3rd and 4th down. In fact, I think it wasn't until their 13th 3rd down conversion they picked one up there late in that second half. On third down, the Jets were just two of 17 in the game. They got two out of three fourth downs in the game. 
Dolphins also had an interception and three sacks and committed just five penalties for 25 yards compared to the Jets' seven for 80 yards and had the ball for 28 minutes compared to the Jets' 32 minutes in this game. Dolphins did have more uh, turnovers, rather, with two. They also gave up two sacks on the day, and the Dolphins had 302 yards of offense, 110 rushing, 192 passing, and were just one for nine on third down. We're going to talk more about that third down here in just one second. Let's go ahead and dive right away into the takeaways. My five takeaways before we get into John Kajemi's three takeaways later in the podcast. And number one was part of the game plan we talked about on Thursday to heat up Joe Flacco, but primarily on the interior with those rushes, bring linebackers and get those big defensive tackles kind of moving guys backwards and filtering in linebackers behind them, just constantly putting pressure in the face of Joe Flacco. And you saw it right away. The very first third down of the game, he has to throw off his back foot and kind of fade away and take a vertical shot up against Byron Jones. And I think it was twice against Byron Jones he went for to Brashad Perriman just falling off that back foot because the only option you have when you're a quarterback that maybe doesn't move like a Russell Wilson or a Josh Allen to go side to side your only option when the rush is in your face like that is to kind of fall away from the the rush so you can get the throw off and then put it up there and give your guy a chance to make a play we've seen Fitzpatrick do that and Fitzpatrick obviously does have that scramble ability but we've seen him with free rushers in his face you just kind of have to protect yourself fall away and throw the ball up and he does that so well. Flacco did that the first, I want to say five or six throws of the game. Dolphins just consistently put pressure right up the middle. They were doing stunts. They were running games. They were doing different types of blitzes, different coverages. One of my favorite looks in the game was going cover zero in the third quarter at one point with McCain up on the line of scrimmage, pressed up against a receiver to really put the screws to the Jets. I think it was at the point where they still had like 0 for 12 on third down and they wanted to get that third and two stop and it did work on that play. So Dolphins defense just pushed all the right buttons. Him not stepping into throws, constantly forcing him to come off the first read because of good coverage downfield. The, the way the rush and the coverage kind of syncs up. You hear Coach Flores and Gerald Alexander and Marion Hobby and Josh Boyer talk about that so, so much and how important it is for a defense. And we're going to talk more about some of the other plays later on in the podcast. But to just see Sam Egwavon come in and have such a big impact a year after being such a prominent fixture on the Dolphins defense and playing so many snaps has done so well to accept a special teams role and a sub package linebacker. I talked to my buddy Kevin Dern this morning, uh, formerly of the Finalysis podcast at Kevin MD4. And I was talking to him about how I was really pleased with the way that both Tyson Render and Sam Egwavon played last week and in this potential absence of Kyle Van Noy who was questionable coming in and Shaq Lawson was questionable coming in we wind up losing Andrew Van Ginkle in the game he did not return with a concussion and Kamu Gruje Hill did come back in after a hand injury the way these linebackers were you know getting dinged up for Sam Egwavon to step right in and have such a big impact in those sub packages we talked all training camp long last year about how explosive this guy was, how fast he was, how he can rush the quarterback. And he was up on PFF's off-ball linebackers at the top of the list, top two or three in terms of total pressure. So you knew how this Dolphins defense used him, throwing him at the quarterback uh, relentlessly. And for him to get pressure and get on the quarterback and just to watch the way this defense can fill in and have bodies step up in replacement of other bodies is fun to watch. But that interior pressure, let's go ahead and play some sound here from Christian Wilkins. I asked him post about the way the Dolphins mix things up and the plan to put pressure on the opposing quarterback, but also to kind of break down the sack he had with Sam Egwavon, who set a great pick stunt on the play to free up Wilkins. And Wilkins says that he definitely recognized Sam Egwavon helping him make that play, maybe more than helping him. 
Well, yeah, we've been doing a lot of different things. We've just been sending a little multiple in our in our in our stuff, and just guys work hard. Guys really want the quarterback, so we're working hard to get after him. Um, and on that play, uh, Sam just did a good job setting me up. Um, he did a kind of move inside and just you know hit the center, and I was able to come free. Um, so I had to make sure I find Sam uh, because you know I wouldn't have made that play without him. And that's that's the great thing about football. It's the ultimate team sport, and I definitely I know for a fact I wouldn't have made that play without Sam. So you're going to hear a lot of that theme on this podcast, guys, passing credit. It's it's one of those things that maybe you get a little bit frustrated with in the media when these guys say cliche things, right? Like we're going to we're going to play for each other. We're going to, you know, take it one game at a time. We're going to it's more than a one guy sport, but to see them put those words into action and have it bear fruit in big victories, it really changes the way you perceive it when these guys consistently play with the same mentality, the same mindset and the same just general philosophy of their head coach. And that sure is fun to watch for this Dolphins defense and entire football team. Jerome Baker, Landon Roberts both got in there as well. They were in my notes here for the pressure getting on the quarterback. Point number two, takeaway number two was a point to establish the run. And I thought they really did a good job of that early in this game. It set a tempo for this game, wore down that Jets defense early and helped get the defense rested so they can get back onto the field and make a bunch of plays. The very first touchdown drive, it was the Dolphins' second drive of the game. The very first drive stalled out on a three and out. But on the touchdown drive, four rushes for 42 yards on that drive, three for 37 coming to Miles Gaskin. Brita had one five-yard carry on that drive. And Brian Flores talks about trying to improve on things that you can get better at, right? Every player, every team, every unit has things they can work on to get better. And he talks about it with the young guys. He talks about it with guys that have success on a game and how they can build upon that and improve other things in their game. Like if you're good at one thing, maybe you can work on, if you're good at rushing the passer, for instance, maybe you can work on your run game. And for this Dolphins offense, I think that was an area they wanted to come out and really develop and and show that they were going to be a strong running team that can be a balanced offense. And they executed on that level. You heard Coach Flores talk about it last week in the win over San Francisco, how he liked the way they were able to get chunk gains and try help run the clock out through the running game. Chan Gailey talked about it. We didn't have to pass as much because the running game gave us those 12, 15-yard gallops that would keep the offense going with the rushing game. And the career-high day for Miles Gaskin, 126 yards from scrimmage for him. I wrote down in my notes the push of the offensive line. My individual notes had Jesse Davis wiping out a player off an, a windback run off his edge. I had Ted Karras getting good push a couple of times in my notes. Eric Flowers getting to the second level, moving linebackers out of the way for Gaskin chunk runs. Robert Hunt displacing body. Solomon Kinley with a body count. And then back to Miles Gaskin. For a team that talks about consistency so much and going back to the, the themes of this team, right? He is the bell of the ball when it comes to consistency because this dude is consistently hitting those windback runs. He consistently surges through the arm tackles and churns out extra yardage through contact because, you know, the defense hits the, hits the ball carrier and they want to stand him up and not let him get extra yards. But Gaskin always finds a way to kind of angle his shoulder or dip in under the, the shoulder pad of the opposing tackler and get those extra two, three yards. And all of a sudden, it's not second and six, it's second and four. And the playbook just expands more upon that. He consistently preaches improvement. He consistently works at it. Let's go ahead and hear from Miles Gaskin. And my question for him post game about the way the offensive line has continued to be consistent in the way they block, because we talked to Miles after the Jacksonville game, and I wanted to ask him what it was about the way these, these guys block up front that suits his running style. And so now that Austin Jackson's not in there and Robert Hunt has replaced him with Jesse Davis swinging over to the other side 
of the offensive line. I wanted to get Miles to, to give us an opinion about how this offensive line just basically replaced a player and stepped right up and kind of go back to that first takeaway with how consistent this team is in their messaging. Here's Miles Gaskin about his offensive line and how he can do better himself as a running back. Those guys work hard every day, very talented group of guys. And uh, very um, usually when you see that group of guys that are very talented, um, sometimes they're not coachable, but those guys are coachable and they're not afraid to speak up. Like when I'm in the wrong or say I hit the wrong hole, they're going to tell me, hey, Miles, like what the hell are you looking at or something like that. You know what I'm saying? So those guys work hard every single day and it, it motivates me to work hard for them. So. It's so much easier to be accountable. And this is just my own experience speaking here. So I have to imagine it's true for football players. It's so much easier to hold people accountable when you have a high level relationship and a, a positive working relationship with those people, right? Like I can tell my brother who I've known for a billion years, Hey, you're screwing up right here. Whereas maybe for someone I don't know as well, it's a little more uncomfortable. So when you see these guys on the sideline, high five and giving their backup quarterback a standing ovation as he goes in the game, we'll talk about that in one second. Every interaction you see with this team is all positive. They're pumped up for each other. And we'll hear Coach Flores talk about that as well. You just, it's its consistent in the way they preach it. And I think that also has that accountability factor too that you hear Miles Gaskin talk about there with the offensive line. Like, hey, you didn't see that cutback lane. Or, hey, I had him bounce. Why didn't you just go ahead and bang that thing? Like to have that type of accountability and self-policing, man, that's, that's a good sign to have for a football team. Takeaway number three, the ability to absolutely put your foot on the neck of the opponent and bury somebody. And we talked about the, the first time with three double-digit wins since 2014 and the mindset of the head coach and the entire football team to, to make it a point to finish the game and play hard for 60 minutes. We're going to hear from Coach Flores on that here in just one second. But at the end of the first half, they get a stop short of the sticks and Flores is down there calling timeouts despite the fact that they have a 21-0 lead. Like, yeah, we're going to take advantage of the fact that we can get a ball back here. We can get some more points on the board and we're going to put this team out of their misery and end this game right now. I love the aggressive play calling, the aggressive approach to managing the game. We saw him go for it on fourth down in his own territory last week because they were confident in the call. That's what you do in Madden, right? You feel good about your call, your play call you have on fourth and one, then you're going to go for it. Like trust in your coaching, trust in your players, trust in the execution. And that's what coach Flores does consistently. Now he talked a little bit about the shutout and how important that was to this team. And I wanted to go ahead and play that audio for you guys. And we'll go ahead and start with coach Flores talking about how they were able to shut out the jets on offense with good practice, good calls from Josh Boyer. I'll go ahead and let him finish his thought here. Contributions from a lot of different guys. A lot of guys made plays, and uh, and they played for 60 minutes. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of that effort, and uh, you know that's the way, that's the focus we need, um, really, you know, throughout the week. And then, uh, uh, and then you got to execute and play well in the game, which I thought they did. So to go ahead and get that fourth down stop when the Jets were into field goal range and possibly going to punch it in for a touchdown there at the end of the game, to get incompletions, to get Noah Igbenogany back in coverage, breaking up balls, running guys out of the back of the end zone, just like he talked about, 60 minutes. How can you ask for more than that to have these guys step up and play hard for an entire game when you know it was 21-0, a three-score game at halftime? To play that hard through the entire four quarters says a lot about the makeup and personality of this football team. Let's go ahead and let Coach continue his thought about the importance and how it feels to get a shutout. You know, a defensive-minded coach, how it feels for him to shut somebody out on a Sunday. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of... These guys like playing together. So uh, when other guys make plays, whether it's offense, defense, special teams, you see a, a lot of excitement, a lot of energy. Uh, so 
Guys were excited for Agba to make a play. Guys were excited about the situation of getting a stop and getting them out of field goal range. Um, and they were excited about, you know, the potential to, 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 to get a shutout. So, I mean, that's what I like to see, you know, guys, you know, enjoying, enjoying kind of the process of uh, working through the week, prepping, preparing, walkthroughs, meetings, practice, and then going out and executing on a, on a, on a Sunday afternoon. I think they're, they're, they're just they're just happy about uh, you know, for each other and you know, kind of reaping some of the, uh, the fruits of their labor. And that's that's why I talk about right the same consistent messaging we've heard all season long. We're going to be a team that cares for each other. We brought the right guys in. That's not about the best fifty three. It's about the right fifty three. And you can talk about it in the spring and the summer and in training camp and maybe the first couple of games you're not winning. But then when you see victories and you see it every single week and you see guys going nuts for each other. I'm, how do you not buy in? Like I keep on, I'm having this argument with myself right now, trying to convince someone that's not in front of me right now, but it's, it's so obvious to me how you just buy in and believe. So three and three is a great spot to be right now after a tough start. Got a lot of work to do, obviously going forward, but just the general makeup of this team, man, that stuff gets me excited. And speaking of that, and speaking of being excited for guys, Tua Tungavailoa comes into the game and completes two passes. And I want to talk about the reaction of the way these guys handled Tua coming off the bench and the crowd going crazy, the sideline going crazy. Tua was dancing with his teammates prior to coming into the game, put the helmet on, ran out there. People lost their minds. And there was one head cheerleader of the group. And who other was it than quarterback Brian Fitzpatrick? We're going to hear from Fitz on a comment that Brian Flores made after the game about the relationship of those two. The question was, what does it say about those two people both on the football field and off in their personalities, that they have that tight-knit relationship between Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua Tungavailoa. And Flo kind of laughs at the question here at first because he he likes the idea. He didn't know that Fitzpatrick was cheerleading for Tua. Here's Flo's answer to what that means and what those guys' relationship means for this football team. Uh, I, I didn't know that, but that doesn't surprise me. I mean, the two those guys have a great relationship. Um, you know, they root for each other. And that's those are some of the relationships that are building really throughout the team. Uh, you like to see that, and, uh, and hopefully when you you know watch us play, people see that. Uh, and um, you know it's, it's 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 nice to hear that. I mean, I didn't, I didn't actually see it, but you know I know there was uh, some excitement. You know, once he went in, and you know I'm happy for Tua. Uh, but you know that's that's I like hearing that. So I wanted to ask Coach Flo about, or rather I wanted to ask Ryan Fitzpatrick about Flo's answer there. Here's Fitz on that exact answer from Coach Flores. Uh, I mean, I would say we're still, we're still a work in progress, but we're, we're definitely heading in the right direction. We've you know, brought in a lot of new guys this offseason, and um, you know, I think we brought in the right kind of guys, and everybody has really meshed well. Um, you know, even a couple of weeks ago, sitting at one and three, not really feeling sorry for ourselves, but continuing to work. And now, you know, to get a couple in a row and sitting at three and three going into the bye, uh, that was a good feeling uh, for us. And I think we're coming together as a team. I think we're coming together as a team as the comment there fits leaves us with. And on the Tua Tungavailoa two passes, again, he converted the only third down of the day for the Dolphins offense to Jakeem Grant after throwing a pass on a naked boot in the back of the end zone. Fitz also talked about the difficulty of that throw, and he was kind of rolling along the back line there, the back end line of the Dolphins end zone. But on the third down play, that's where I was really impressed was to see this guy just kind of step up into the pocket, kind of some pressure coming around him to step up and deliver a throw there for a big first down conversion. We saw that quick 
twitch and that quick processor and the quick trigger at Alabama repeatedly every Saturday the last two or three years down there in college football. And also on the same takeaway here, talking about burying somebody, Dolphins have a plus 47 point point differential right now. That's best in the division. That's ahead of Buffalo right now, who's minus three at four and one. It's also better than the 4-2 and two Cleveland Browns who have a negative point differential. It's better than the 5-0 and oh Titans who have a 38-point differential. The Colts are at 42 at 4-2 and two point differential. It's better than the Kansas City Chiefs who have a 39-point point differential at 4-1. and one. So this team is playing good football right now, putting up points on the board, stopping the opposing offenses from putting up points of their own as well. So that's takeaway number three, a long-winded one at that. Actually, let's go ahead and finish this up. I wanted to hear this comment here, or play this comment, rather, from Tua Tungavailoa on the moment for getting out there on the field for his first time in his pro career one year after his injured hip. I think it was a very special moment um, for me because my parents weren't here. Uh, so I couldn't really remember where we ended our drive at. So try to sit close to where we ended our drive at. And uh, I ended up FaceTiming my parents because they couldn't be here. Um, so I, that's usually how it goes. I usually talk to my parents, um, you know, after the game. Um, and my parents usually never miss my game. Um, so that's what I did. I went out there and um, I, I talked to them. Um, but yeah, that's, that's what that moment was about. Pretty satisfying win all the way around for the Dolphins and the entire roster. Everybody getting in on the action. You heard Coach Flores talk about having plenty of contributors in this game. The fourth takeaway, we're going to go to an individual here. It's the Sunday Spotlight. If you guys haven't noticed, in addition to the recap article up on MiamiDolphins.com, we're also going to have a weekly Spotlight edition. We had or rather Devontae Parker in the loss to the Seahawks. Last week, we had Ryan Fitzpatrick in the win over the San Francisco 49ers. And this week, Xavier Howard, because he came into this game with a pick every 8.6 targets going back to that date we always talk about, right? December 2017, 8.6 targets. You you try this guy, he's going to get himself an interception. It's been so impressive. 16 in his last 28 games, despite the fact that he's only had 28 games out of 43 possible since 2017. And he talked about on the interception how they ran that over route so many times against him. We saw the Bills do that against the Dolphins. We saw the Seahawks do that against the Dolphins. We saw the Niners try that against the Dolphins. And X actually got his hands on a football on that play, but couldn't quite squeeze it off of his fingertips. Almost the exact same look here. And this time he undercuts it and gets his hands on the ball and does squeeze it, pulls on the interception. He would, of course, later get the pick in that San Francisco game on what Gerald Alexander called a layup in his media availability. But Xavier Howard does get this one, the tougher interception this time. And now in back-to-back games, this guy's been targeted eight times, no catches, two interceptions, two pass breakups. Ridiculous ball production. And somebody asked him post-game, are you going to write a book about how you get to the ball? Ball find me, man. <laughs> Ball find me is exactly right, Xavier Howard. 16 picks in his last 28 games. And the fifth takeaway, how can we talk about anything besides this Miami Dolphin defense? I can't wait to see the inside the numbers piece tomorrow that I'm going to write because I can't wait to look at where this team ranks on the defensive points per game and yards per game, passing game. It's going to be a nice little bump up the standings and the rankings there for your Miami Dolphins. How about this drive chart that I was going at? I, I took it for about the first Two and a half quarters, maybe three quarters of the game. First drive for the Jets, three plays, three yards. Second drive, three plays, five yards. Third drive, they had some success, 10 plays, 35 yards, but eventually would punt on that drive as well. Obviously, it didn't score points. Fourth drive, three plays, negative four yards. Fifth drive, three plays, four yards, and a pick. 
Sixth drive, three plays, four yards. Seventh drive, three plays, nine yards. And the eighth drive, after the interception there with about 20 seconds left in the half, they go four plays for 22 yards, end of half. So in that first half, 32 plays, 93 yards, 0 for 8 on first downs, or on third down rather, and just four first downs in the game. How about the second half? Come right out of the locker room. Three plays, negative four yards. Four plays, 16 yards. Five plays, 38 Four plays, 19 yards. Eight plays, eight yards. That was the Ogba sack play, negative 28 yards on that play. And then the next drive was four plays for 16 yards. So, I mean, we're talking about like five first downs among, among what is it, 14 drives here, and four of them came on one series. Christian Wilkins, a sack, a couple of pass breakups, a couple more tackles. Eric Rowe had 10 combined tackles in the game. We talked about Sam Egovon. Emmanuel Ogba gets two more sacks in the game. He now has a sack in three consecutive games. He has at least a half a sack in five consecutive games, and he now has two, three, four, five sacks on the season. So Ogba really paying dividends at that pass rush position. I thought Shaq Loss was damn good as well. Off the other side, playing the run, playing the pass. The linebackers got themselves involved. The defensive backs, the way Eric Rowe and Bobby McCain are communicating on that back end and kind of passing things off, walling guys off, playing to their leverage, playing to their calls. It's just been a lot of fun to watch this defense the last few weeks. And they just keep climbing up, up, up those ranking boards in another zero-point performance and less than 300 total yards of offense. That's going to help you out big time. Dolphins defense absolutely dominant in a shutout victory over the Jets. A few individual notes we didn't talk about here. There was a play, the Preston Williams touchdown. I love that play by both Preston and Fitz and the call by Chan, the design by Chan, because Preston won. The route is beautiful. He's got a cornerback one-on-one coverage, kind of takes the outside step first and then cuts back across his face. Once that corner drives his hips to the sideline, gives him a chance to cross face, does it perfectly. And then from there, a six foot five frame, good luck defense. You're not going to stop him. I love that play also because the quick fake handoff to not kind of carry out the fake handoff, the play action, but to fake it, put it out there, show the defense, the football pop up and then throw it out quickly. It allows you to get at the ball out much faster. And Fitzpatrick just kind of throws to a spot. Like he talked about last week and his media availability throws the ball to a spot right where Preston Williams is touchdown dolphins loved that play. We talked about Miles Gaskin. I put Devontae Parker in the notes here a few times, just the way he uncovered and and made some contested catches, had a tough catch in traffic where he kind of got knocked to the ground there. So another good day for Devontae Parker. The tight end room, Durham Smythe, Adam Shaheen, a pair of touchdowns from those two guys, one each. Shaheen and Smythe both getting that little under route from the previous week that Shaheen ran. Love to see those guys contribute in the passing game. Shaheen also had the big 43-yard catch down the middle of the field. So good work from those guys. Offensive line, I mean, these guys have been playing so well all year long. One through five, Jesse Davis, Eric Flowers, Ted Karras, Robert Hunt, and Solomon Kinley in there. Just getting some push in the running game, helping protect the quarterback in the passing game. Another good effort here from the Dolphins offensive line. We'll have more for you guys on that on the All-22 review on Tuesday's podcast. On the defensive line, we talked about Ogba. Didn't get much of a mention about Zach Sealer, but my goodness, how many times did he lock out, get those big, strong, long arms locked out, and then just work with his athletic ability down the line on those outside runs and disengage and get there for a tackle at the line of scrimmage. So impressive, so powerful, so athletic and agile. Also the play where he retraced a screen and got helped with Elandon Roberts on a tackle short of the sticks, which would force the Jets to punt on fourth and one. Just a really good game again 
from Zach Sealer. The linebackers, Elandon Roberts, played another damn good game, I thought, flying all over the field, aggressive but in control. Big-time hitter, definitely lays the wood when he arrives. Loved the work of Sam Egobon, as we talked about. Jerome Baker got in there for some pressure on the quarterback. Those A-gap blitz pressure looks just coming in hot on Joe Flacco. And the defensive backfield, we didn't talk about Byron Jones, but the first two pass attempts of the game from Joe Flacco, they tried to go deep on Byron Jones. And he just said, go ahead and try to run passing because you're not going to run by me. So he gets that jam, kind of the underneath trail technique, and then runs right under that thing and does such a good job to get himself back in position and make a play on the football. We talked about Eric Rowe and Bobby McCain. I think both these guys are playing so damn well right now. And then Xavier Howard, you don't even got to say it. He's just been awesome so far. Special teams, I thought Jakeem had his best day returning punts today. So that was also very good to see. Jason Sanders remains perfect. Matt Hawk put another punt inside the 10-yard line. So everything came up aces in this game for the Dolphins. A good-looking performance, 3-3, three and three, heading into the bye week. And then we'll see the Rams next week after that, week eight, at home here at Hard Rock Stadium. And with that, let's go ahead and welcome in my weekly Sunday night recap podcast co-host guest, John Jemmy. We get to watch the games with each other at Hard Rock Stadium, and we got another chance to watch a dominant Dolphins performance, 24-0. John, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. It, it's too bad we can't cheer where we sit because we <laughs> had a lot of cheering to do tonight, especially how dominant, you know, the performance was uh, by the team, you know, 24-0, uh, the first time you know that happened in six years you get a shutout and they've been outscoring opponents I, what was it 67 to 17 the last two opponents i heard during the broadcast so a lot of things a lot of positives to talk about uh when you mentioned the miami dolphins i i'm a big fan of our silent fist bump we do in the press box john that's a good way to <laughs> yeah. to get the, our little w's <laughs> under our belts here's a fact i just learned during the podcast i'll tell you john the dolphins have a better point differential right now than kansas city isn't that crazy yeah, that is crazy. I would have, I would have guessed the, the Kansas City, but um, you know the Miami Dolphins are playing some good football. They're they're five hundred, which is positive. All right, they had a chance to beat Seattle at home. They hung with Buffalo, who, who's probably the you know the class right now of the AFC East. But we're we're kind of getting on their heels a little bit and waiting for them to maybe take a, a, a step backwards and, and build momentum and, and get closer to, to challenging for the crown. Well, we'll go ahead and root for uh, Kansas City to, to take over us in the point differential category tomorrow so they can beat Buffalo and we can get within one game of the AFC exactly. East lead. We're going to have John Jemmy on the podcast later this week, guys, to talk about just kind of a, a season recap so far and look ahead. But John, for now, I want to hear your three takeaways. Go ahead and kick it off with number one. Well, first of all, I think it was a dominating defensive performance by the Miami Dolphins. I, I thought in every facet, you know, when you looked at the, the way they played up front with the defensive line, you know, you're minus the Godchow. You're going in and you're playing, you're playing rookies and you're playing guys a little bit out of position. But I thought every, every time you looked, someone stepped up. Emmanuel Ogba and his two sacks. Christian Wilkins had uh, multiple passes deflected. He had a sack. I thought Zach Sealer played an outstanding game in and around the line of scrimmage. I thought Landon Roberts was behind the line of scrimmage. I thought Brandon Jones came up from the safety spot and had some you know, spectacular plays. And you talk about the takeaways of Xavier Howard, the way they tried to challenge Byron Jones down the field, and he responded. So I just thought it wasn't one guy. It was a bunch of guys on defense that built uh, this wall against the, the New York Jets that they couldn't convert on third down. I think they were 0 for 8 in the first half, only 2 for 17 throughout the game. They had bits and pieces 
uh, of maybe some chunk plays or some exciting plays down the field, but they were, you know, one out of every 10 or 12 plays. So I thought the Dolphins' defense really controlled the tempo, and they had a dominating performance. Yeah, you talk about those couple of chunk plays. I think that those plays kind of made the box score not quite do the performance justice because, I mean, there was a point in the game where the, the Jets had under three yards per play. I mean, it was just swarming, dominating. And I'm really glad you mentioned Brandon Jones because he came in late and made a bunch of big plays. Damn near got himself a pick six there at the end too. John, how about takeaway number two for you? I thought it was a balanced attack on offense. And I think it was aided by the field position that the Miami Dolphins had throughout the game. You know, it was close to uh, about a 20 or 25-yard discrepancy in average starting field position between the Jets and the Dolphins, and and Miami held that advantage. And I think that allowed them to kind of play uh, mixing in the run and the pass and the play action. They got their tight ends involved. I thought the checkdowns were really timely where you get the ball in hands of running backs that could do a little something with it. I thought Miles Gaskin uh, had an outstanding performance, not only running it close to 100 yards, we had over five yards per carry, but he caught the football with efficiency and made people miss when he was in the open field. So I thought the way Fitz, Fitz played at the quarterback spot, I thought it was a, a balanced attack with a run and pass. He'd love to have the pick back by the end zone. I don't, I don't care about the long shot he took down the field and, the crazy circus interception down the field <laughs> yeah. that, that happened later in the game. But the one the one that he wanted back was down by the end zone. He tried to squeeze one in to, I believe it was Mike Kosicki on a crossing route. And during that part of the game, you know, the Dolphins get the ball in the plus 46. They get the ball in the plus 34. Again, they get it on the plus 48. You come out with seven points on the touchdown to, to Durham Smythe. But you had a chance to really knock out the Jets before halftime. And I, I thought they, they bounced back from that pretty well. But overall, my, my overall takeaway was the balance that they showed with play action, with running the football. I love the new little uh, draw counter that they put in behind uh, Solomon Kinley and moving, moving that running uh, lane a little bit to give the, the guys some room. But I, all, all in all, I thought it was a great balanced attack. Yeah, those, uh, those failed attempts to cash in down there, that just gives coach a coaching point for the next two weeks. Right now, he can kind of drill yeah, the guys right. and get on them. So that's all they need. And, and Fitz, Fitz talked about that pick after the game a little bit. And he, he knows he knows that was a mistake on his part and a, a part of the field and part of the game where you can probably cash in some points there and get you know get a, a three score lead on the board there going into the second into the th- uh, third quarter, second half. Easy for me to say, but um, he he talked about it, and you know that's kind of one of the things with Fitzpatrick, where maybe you just kind of have to live and die with that because he trusts his eyes so much, and it makes so many big plays for you. But like you mentioned, kind of gets caught with his hand in the cookie jar on this particular play. Takeaway number three from you, John. You know, I I thought that all three phases really contributed, and I'm really starting to to like the way this this team piggybacks off of. You know, a solid defensive performance. The offense picks it up. The special teams are there. So I thought this was a complete team win. And, and you count in uh, the special teams. Let me start with those guys. I thought that Jakeem Grant really did a, an excellent job of making the first defender miss coming down the, those gunners and, and the long snapper. He was able to make people miss and really, <clears throat> excuse me, add to the field position that I talked about when the Dolphins really took advantage. So I, I thought that was a spark that, that needed to catch up a little bit. I, I love the way that, obviously, you know, the, the kicking game's going with Matt Hawk and the punting and the, and 
the hundred percent, you know, you can't do much better than 15 for 15. Uh, you know, it's like shooting threes out there for, for Jason Sanders. <laughs> and it, it, it's really a good thing to see that, you know, there's complimentary football happening between offense and defense and special teams. So I thought that compliment was, was one of my takeaways today, the way that the defense kind of set the tone, gave the field position to the offense. I thought the offense cashed in when they had chances and probably could have stepped up a little bit more, but then the special teams kept that field tilted, and then Jakeem Grant was able to, to add his spark on special teams to continue that really pristine field position that the Dolphins enjoyed all night long. It's got to be nice for a coach to have a, a place kicker that he can pretty much trust is going to get three points every time he trots him out there. I mean, it's, it's such an advantage to have in your back pocket. And you, you talked about the way they kind of manage the game. I thought the way Flores called this game, and I talked about it in an earlier takeaway before I had you on, John, the way he went down and called that timeout after the Dolphins got a third down stop towards the end of the half there. Just the, the way they manage this game. And then with um, there was a... A long field goal attempt that Jason Sanders could have taken, but they punted it away because the defense was playing so good. Don't give the Jets a short field. So just, like you say, a total team win, all phases, coaching staff, good stuff from the Dolphins. 24-0, to a shutout win. John, appreciate your time. We'll talk to you later this week, sir. Sounds good. Thanks, Travis. And there he goes, John Kinjemi. Love getting his take here on the podcast. That little nugget there about the counter draw, that's what John gives you a good eye for the game. Love watching football next to that guy like I talk about every week on the podcast. He makes me a smarter football fan and a smarter football journalist as well. All right, guys, that's going to be my time here on the Sunday night recap edition, the Dolphins victory over the New York Jets edition of the Drive Time podcast. In the meantime, you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank with Seth and Juice. Check out the Audible with Kim and John. And of course, MiamiDolphins.com. We have the spotlight piece, the recap piece, the gallery Everything you want from Dolphins 24, Jets 0 is up on MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up.